Well, 12 years ago, I spoke on Father's Day. I'm sure all of you remember that talk. In fact, as I was thinking about it this week, I had to go back in my computer into the archives, and I found out I was speaking in Romans 14, and I thought, really, I have no memory of that. And, but what I do remember on that Father's Day 12 years ago is that as I stood here, I'd, get in a, I'd gotten a phone call from Manhattan, Kansas, that my youngest daughter was in labor and was going to have a baby. So that was one of the shortest sermons that I've preached. And I was out of here. We made it to Manhattan. And on that day, our lovely, wonderful 12-year-old granddaughter, Chloe, was born. And a few weeks later, years later, in July, her sister Phoebe was born. Now, here's the deal in our family. Anytime I use the name of one of my children or grandchildren, I have to pay them $20. Uh, and I promise them I won't say anything embarrassing, okay? And they're always happy. Grandpa, are you going to mention me this week? And uh, so last night at, when we were having a birthday party for Chloe, I handed out the $20 in advance, and I said, here you go. And they were quite happy, and they said, are you going to mention mom and dad? And I said, no, I can't afford it. <laughs> uh, but uh, Father's Day's a special day for me because of that. Uh, and I know it's special for many of us here who are fathers. But fa- people who are not fathers, it, it's kind of like, eh, is there a day for me? Well, they've got some giveaways out in front. And I say, if you're a father or you want to be a father, or you wish you were a father, or uh, you had a father, then you can take one of the uh, things out in the lobby. Uh, And it's really special to note that we know of no one in the New Testament, the apostles, who actually had children. Uh, The whole issue of being a physical father is never mentioned, but what is really stressed in the New Testament is being a spiritual father. And you can be a spiritual father to anyone uh, that you're willing to build a relationship with and help them to grow in Christ. So we're this summer going through the book of John, and uh, there are seven signs in the book of John as he is writing this story of Jesus. And I think I have them listed up on the slide, Uh, turning water into wine healing an official son in Capernaum, healing an invalid at the Pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem, feeding the 5,000 near the Sea of Galilee, walking on water, healing a blind man in Jerusalem, and raising the dead, Lazarus, in Bethany. Now, there are seven miracles, seven signs. And as John writes his book, it's like these are like signposts Like, who else can do this? This is a sign that there's something amazing about this person, and it's a sign that he truly is the Messiah. And you you might think, well, why only seven? And we don't know why only seven. But this is what he wrote in chapter 21, verse 25. Jesus did many other things as well. 
if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. And so what we have in the book of John is John's remembrance of these, and he's building his book to help people believe in Jesus. And he pulls these seven things out of his memory as the Holy Spirit brought it together for him. And we now have this today. And when we were putting this series together, it's kind of fun. Uh, Tim and Brett Walstead and Brent Watson and Troy Heller and I sat around a table and we were supposed to have read through the book of John and come up with, well, here's what I really feel passionate about talking about. I want to talk about it. And uh, so we got to select the passage. And I I selected John chapter 5. And if you want to turn to John chapter 5, I'm going to be going through that. Of course, it'll be on the screen both here and to those of you walking online, watching online. But the reason I selected John chapter 5 was because of this guy. I'm going to put a picture of him up there, I hope. Yeah, the guy on my right is named Larry Woods. Now, Don and Patty Lanfear know Larry Woods, and the Spaldings know Larry Woods. And Larry Woods is in in East Lansing, Michigan at Michigan State University, leading Christian Challenge at Michigan State University, and Larry is totally blind. We're talking white cane blind. And I grew up down the street from Larry. I don't ever remember not knowing Larry. And once we got our lives squared away with the Lord, it began to be a burden of mine and those of us in our little community that Jesus would heal Larry's blindness. And so uh, I think the first shot we had at this, we were in Pennsylvania at a Billy Graham crusade. We were just serving behind the scenes at this crusade in Pittsburgh. And across the street where we were staying was a faith healer. We saw buses pulling in and people getting out, and this woman named Catherine Kuhlman with the flowing gowns and all of this, you know, she was a spectacle on the stage, and thousands of people were crowding this arena. It was cross street from where we were staying, and we said, Larry, let's go. Maybe Jesus is going to heal you. So we drug him over there. That was part of our drug ministry in those days. And we, we drug him over there. And, and so we got him up front, pushed through the crowd to get him up front and sat him in front of Catherine Kuhlman. And, and we're wanting her to pray for him. He's not yet white cane. He still had a little bit of vision. And uh, she didn't. She just passed him by and she went and prayed for somebody else. And it was like, wow. Did we miss our chance? I mean, what's the deal here? And we were in those days of spiritual growth that we weren't really able to figure everything out. You know, it's okay to be there. It's just not okay to stay there. And so as we grew through the years, every time we would be together, we would pray that God would heal him. And he he got more and more willing and more and more believing that this would happen. And uh, in 1980s, we were at a conference at Glen Erie in 
Colorado Springs. And it's like, okay, we're going to take another shot at this. And we got, uh, and I'm not telling you this is the right way to go. I'm just telling you this is how it happened, right? And so we, we got Larry together, and we decided we are going to really have intense prayer for him. And we did, and uh, we didn't want anything we said to, oh, I'm not going to go into that. That's crazy. If I told you what really happened, you'd think, goodbye. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we uh, prayed for him, and at the end of our prayer, we said, Larry, do you feel like the Lord said anything? To you? Well, first, said, do you see anything? No. Do you think the Lord said anything to you? He said, I think he did, but you guys aren't going to like it. And I said, we said, well, what did he say? He said, I think the Lord said to me, I will glorify myself through your blindness. I will glorify myself through your blindness. And you know, that was the last time we prayed for healing for him because he felt he had that answer from God. And if it was good enough for him, it was good enough for us. And so there are three things that I want to say this morning. And usually you save your uh, wrap up for the end, but I'm going to do the wrap up here at the beginning. Okay. So you can just go ahead and go to sleep after this if you want. Uh, the first thing that I think we, I want to say this morning, I think this passage says that we're going to look at is that God is glorified through a miracle of healing. That was true then. And that's true. Now God is glorified through a miracle of healing. God uses medical science for healing. God uses prayer for healing. God is a healer. That's what he does. That's who he is. And there are miracles of healing. We need to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The second thing I want to say is that God is glorified through managing a disease or a disability. God is glorified through managing a disease or disability. Second Corinthians twelve eight and nine, Paul had a some kind of disability or disease. We don't know. He doesn't go into detail, but he said three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but He said, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness." And Paul wrote, "Therefore I will boast." All the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. So, God is glorified through managing a disease or a disability. When there's not a miracle for him to be glorified in, there is the management of what is bothering you or hindering you, that you can glorify him through that. And the third thing I want to say is that God's purpose through health or sickness is to know him and walk obediently by faith. It's to glorify him. That's God's purpose, whether he, you're healed or whether you manage what's going on, is that you would glorify him. You would know him better, that you would obediently walk by faith and bring glory to him. So let's dive into John chapter 5 and see if these 
three things I've just said are actually in that text, okay? So uh, John chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the festival feasts, one of the Jewish festivals, or feasts they're called in the Old Testament. And there were three uh, Jewish celebrations that people came from all over to Jerusalem. One was in the springtime, which was Passover, which corresponds to our Easter. One was Pentecost, which was uh, during the first days of summer. And then there was one called the Tabernacle that was like in the early fall. And evidently this feast they came was the Feast of the Tabernacle, as John has laid out his book. And when these feasts happened, it was kind of like Memorial Stadium on game day. I mean, they say 50,000 people came to Jerusalem from all over the world to celebrate this and to feast on God and to feast on great food because they were supposed to save their money, save their tithe, and they would go and go to Jerusalem and have a party and to feast on God. Isn't that a great, great way to celebrate God that we save in order to celebrate? Well, that's what they did. And... Uh, John chapter 5, verse 2 says, Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic, which is a a dialect of the Greek, is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Well, uh, Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D., and in the 1960s, they started excavating Jerusalem, and they found this pool in Jerusalem. And uh, you can see, I, I can't really tell exactly where the pool was, but I think it was down those steps on the right. There's a pool, and you can see a little colonnade at the base uh, of that pool. And there were evidently five colonnades around this, and it was kind of covered. It was a covered pool. And uh, verse... Three says, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And so this was like a magnet for people who had disability to join this pool, come around the pool hoping for healing. And uh, verse 4 kind of explains it a little bit. And I want, I want you to understand why that's in italics or a footnote in your Bible that that's a disputed text, which means that out of all of the texts they have, this one is disputed. Let me read it. It says, They waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir the waters. The first one into the pool after such a disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. Okay, so the way they determine... Uh, what, you, what you find in your New Testament is they look at these manuscripts. And let go to the next slide. There are over 5,800 Greek New Testament manuscripts that are really old. And there are more than 2.6 million pages of those texts. Combining both the Old and the New Testament, we have more than 66,000 manuscripts and scrolls. So this is a science 
of the people who analyzed these scrolls. And what they did is they kind of put them in, in order in terms of chronology. When was the early, what were the earliest ones? What were the later ones? And the very earliest of the scrolls, as best they can determine, do not have verse 4 in that scroll. But the later ones did have that. So that's why they make it in italics or a footnote. And if you actually take this out of the story, it really doesn't change the story whatsoever. What it does, it just kind of gives an explanation. Well, why were they lying around the pool? And that, that kind of, they kind of gave that explanation. And where that came from, we don't know. Verse 5 through 7. One who had been there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now notice his answer. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Did you notice he didn't answer the question? Jesus said, do you want to be healed? And he gave an explanation of why he couldn't get into the water. And what we learn about this man just from these few little verses is that this man had lost hope. That someone had evidently would bring him to that pool every day and be done with him. It was kind of like a, a, a daycare for invalids that they would bring him. And can you imagine the state of mind that this man would be in? Can you imagine 38 years being taken daily to this pool and left by your relatives? And so he had lost hope. He was alone. And according to the passage, he had zero faith. He had given up. And I, I just want to pause here and, and ask you a question, both here live and online. Is, is there something you've given up on? Is there something where you feel totally alone? Is there something where it's like, I just can't even go there? I just have no faith. And if, if that's your condition today, you've come to a great service today. Because I hope at the end of this that you do have, that hope begins to rise in you. That, that there is a new kind of hope. Because this man, though he had no hope, was known by Jesus. And I don't know what in your life has lost hope, but I want you to know Jesus knows it. And the second thing is that he has compassion on you. In response to this man not answering Jesus' question, Jesus didn't chide him, he didn't push him, he didn't poke him. He just said, he just let the man say that. And Jesus had compassion on him. And sometimes we think, that if, there, if we're off or we don't have hope or we don't believe something, that God doesn't care. But I tell you, he does care. He has compassion on you and he knows you. He knows, he knows you better than you know yourself. And so, verse 8, this is what Jesus said to him. Then Jesus said to him, get up, 
pick up your mat and walk. This is where the music should rise, really. <laughs> this is where it's like, and, and at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Wow. You know, we entitled this series, I've Got Good News. And we've got good news. Jesus heals. He does. He healed then. He'll heal today. And um, I was in Oklahoma this past week at a little retreat I do every year with some college friends. And on Thursday night, we went to OU in Norman to share with some students there in a training program. And I sat at a table with a friend I know. He's on staff at OU. And he's been diagnosed with some issues, and he shared that with me. And I said to him, so, Wyatt, uh, you know, I'm sorry, this is terrible. You know, has anybody actually prayed for you that you would be healed? And he kind of looked a little startled at the question. And I, he said, no, they haven't. I said, would it be okay if I pray for you right now? And we were eating at a little table in their building down there. And he said, yeah. I said, can I just put my hand on your shoulder and pray for you? He said, oh, yeah. So I prayed for him. And I, after it was over, I didn't say, did you feel anything? Did you hear anything? Uh, do you feel any different? I didn't do that, but you know why I did that? I did that because I believe Jesus heals. I don't, but I believe he does. And I will pray for anyone with a sickness or a disability who God brings across my path, and they either ask me to pray healing for them, or I feel led to ask them like I did Wyatt. And that's kind of crazy. One of my friends, Larry Woods, the blind guy, calls me the religious fanatic who lived down the street for him. And uh, so, yeah, okay, I'll wear that. Uh, I'll, I'll do that. I'll pray for people. And there are some of you in this room right now, I can see you, that I pray for you every day. And some of you watching online, I pray for you. Because I have a list of people who who need to either be healed or manage the sickness or disability for the glory of God. And that's just in my heart to pray for people. So we, it's good news because he has the power and there's no formula for his healings. When you look at the healings of Jesus through all the gospels, some people had faith. Some people had great faith. Some people, their friends had faith and brought them to Jesus. And some, like this man, had no faith. So we can say that Jesus' healing is not based on the level of my faith. That Jesus' healing is based on his power, his will, and his glory. What will glorify him? John 5, verse 9 and 10 says, The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Now, here's where the music should get dark. 
There was the Sabbath. That was the music. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry that mat. Well, it wasn't the Old Testament law. It was their law, a book called the Talmud that still exists today, in which you can find 613 commands and the entire context of the Jewish laws and traditions that Jesus was living in was based on the Talmud, not on the Old Testament. And so these were uh, religious scholars. They really were the fanatic that lived down the street, okay? And they were correcting everybody. And I, I'm thinking if Jerusalem had had a newspaper in the, on this particular day, uh, the headline should have read, Invalid Miraculously Healed. That's what the headline should have been. But here's what the headline was in Jerusalem. Man violates the Sabbath. It's like, oh my gosh. And as I was thinking about this and studying, I just thought, man, things haven't changed that much. Because people can look at something and they can see the good in it or they can see the bad in it. And what do we hear on the news today? It's usually the bad news. It's usually stuff that maybe has been twisted and distorted. So John 5, 11 through 13, Jesus replied, he replied, or the man replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. Jesus had a certain authority. He was God. And he had the power to heal. So they asked him, who was this fellow? I kind of like that. Oh, just by the way, who was this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. And it, and it was a huge crowd because of the uh, festival in town. And it's like... Who was he? And Jesus didn't call attention to himself when he told this man to do this. It wasn't like Jesus was trying to go, da-da, you know. It's like he, he was just doing his stuff. He had compassion on this man. He pursued this man. He healed this man. Verse 14 and 15, it says, Later, Jesus found him at the temple. Isn't it interesting where this man went? He wasn't at the pool anymore. He was at the temple worshiping God. Do you blame him? Do you blame him? Uh, and he said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And I, I had my own footnote there. It's like, worse? Really? What could be worse than 38 years lying by a pool Alone, no faith, hopeless, just going through life, and nothing ever happens. And Jesus is, what Jesus was going after was not just what needs to be healed is not simply your body. What needs to be healed is your soul, your life. If you want to find true health, it's not just found in physical body health. 
but it's also found in the soul and heart health. And Jesus was warning him that real health comes as we begin to live a different way. And we, we stop doing those things that are destructive, that destroy us and other people. And the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. And I don't think he did this out of malice or trying to harm Jesus. He was just trying to glorify Jesus. Hey, you guys asked who that was. I found out who it was. Maybe you've heard of him. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the one who did that. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. And that went over like a Led Zeppelin to those <laughs> Jewish leaders. It's kind of like, okay, dark music again. In his defense, oh, so because, verse 16 So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. And so notice that word, persecute. They began to try to block him. They tried to stop him. They tried to to spread rumors about him, lies about him. They began to persecute him. And uh, then verse 17 and 18, it says, In his defense, Jesus said to them, I guess they had some little day of confrontation. This is later, not the same day that the man was healed, but later. In his defense, he said to them, My father's always at work to this very day, and I too am working on the Sabbath. I too am working. And for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father and making himself equal to God. You know, there some people in Jesus' day were looking for reasons to not believe in Jesus. Their heart was to persecute him and to kill him. And today that same evil heart exists globally. To our brothers and sisters living in different parts of the world where they are being persecuted and killed even as Jesus was. And to an even lesser extent, some of us may bump into that today as we navigate our lives through a world whose heart is not set on glorifying Jesus, but the heart is set on persecuting or killing those who do want to glorify Jesus. And so I come to the end of this passage today, and I've got two questions that I have. The first question is, why was only one person healed? You ever think about that? I mean, Jesus goes down, there are all these people everywhere. All of them were probably disabled and hopeless, and he healed one. And the answer is, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There are a lot of unanswered questions in the Bible as I read it. 
uh, things that I don't get, things that the Bible doesn't say, things that I wish it said. And that's true of your life and mine. Because as we go through our lives, there are going to be questions. It's like, well, why did that happen? And what's going on here? And we don't know the answer to that question. But just like John wrote this, that the story of this book and the story of our lives should bring us to the point of saying, Lord, I don't understand it all, and I certainly don't like it all. But I want to tell you, I want to trust you and believe you in the middle of all of this. I want to glorify you. And the second question is related to the first, but it's what about people who suffer today? And there are a couple of verses that came to my mind as I thought about this. One is Philippians 3.10. Paul, who was suffering, who had been beaten, who had this disability we talked about earlier, he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And I just want to tell you today that in your sufferings, Jesus is with you. He has not abandoned you. That he is with you and he wants you to know him and to anticipate the resurrection, a new life, a new body, a new mind that's going to be given to you. And 1 Peter 4.13 says, But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. Keep on rejoicing. So in the middle of your sufferings, you find Christ with you, and then you rejoice that he's got something better for you. Maybe not a physical healing in this life, but he's got something good for you today and something incredibly good in eternity. So I'm going to close with these two applications. The first one is that Jesus pursues you when you're hopeless and you have no faith. He knows your situation and has compassion on you. He's right there next to you in your sufferings. Would you respond to him? Would you push away the anger, the bitterness, the lack of understanding? And would you welcome Jesus to be with you? The second application is that Jesus' purpose through health or sickness is for you to know him and walk obediently by faith and to glorify him. So that's why I picked this story. Because it's personal for me, a dear friend, and I find hope and just a little bit of understanding in this passage. Let's pray together. Lord, I know that this talk has brought to mind people, in the minds of the folks here, people that either they themselves know, their relatives know, friends know, or maybe their own situation. And Jesus, I pray you'd have compassion and would you give strength and help people who are dealing with 
physical, emotional, and mental issues in this life to sense your closeness and to open their hearts to you rather than closing their hearts and not acknowledging you're there. And God, we do pray that you would heal those who, you, you're, their healing would bring great glory to you. And Lord, those who are not healed, that they would learn to manage their illness or disability and that they could rejoice in you and bring glory to you. And for all of us, Lord, would you help us to know you, to walk with you by faith and obedience, and to bring glory to you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.